resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the most significant event in human history. It's one of the central truths of Christianity. It's the definitive proof that Jesus really was who Jesus said he was, the Son of God and Savior of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the unwavering hope of millions and millions of Christians all over the world. We just spent about 20 minutes reading and singing and praying about it. But what if the resurrection of Jesus is not true? Have you ever considered that? What if Christ has not been risen from the dead? What would that mean for Christianity? What would that mean for Jesus' claims about who he was and what he came to do? What would that mean for millions and millions of Christians all over the world? Well, this is the question that Paul addresses in our sermon text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I invite you to please turn there in your Bibles. You will be greatly helped to have a copy of God's Word open on your lap so that you can see um, the source from which I'm getting all my thoughts today. I have no thoughts except for what comes directly out of God's Word. So please turn 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our sermon text is verse 12 through 34. Nick already read that for us this morning. We will not be dealing with all of that today. In fact, we're going to be focusing on the beginning, verse 12 through 19, and the end, verse 29 through 34. And then next week, we're going to be dealing with the middle, verse 20 through 28. A phenomenal study. I encourage you to come back next week for verse 20 through 28. But I want you to notice the issue that's going on that Paul is addressing in this text. Please look at your Bibles at chapter 15, verse 12. Some in the ancient church at Corinth are saying, quote, there is no resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> So they may have believed in complete annihilation, that death ends it all. They, they may have believed in some kind of a soul sleep, you know, rest in peace. But it's most likely that they believed in a spiritual life after death, but no kind of physical resurrection of the dead, a spiritual life that involved a disembodied existence in an ethereal world that was far, far away. This spiritual life that is not anything like what we experience here and now in physical bodies in a physical world. And nothing like what the Bible describes as 
the resurrection of the dead to eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. There were some, according to verse 12, who said there is no resurrection of the dead. Look at the end of chapter of our sermon text in verse 33. They had been deceived. See there in verse 33, Paul warns them, do not be deceived. That's because they were being deceived. Verse 34, they were influenced by those who have no knowledge of God. And so Paul is addressing this, and as part of his logical argument, Paul considers their position at face value. All right? You say there is no resurrection of the dead. Let's go with that. Let's pull that out to its logical conclusion. Verse 13. If what they say is true, verse 13 If there is no resurrection of the dead, then a series of dominoes falls. Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then. (laughs) Paul explains Seven faith-shattering implications. I want you to note that Paul is not trying to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They already believe that. Paul is demonstrating the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality, friends. The resurrection of Jesus is the central truth that validates and sustains Christianity. Just like a linchpin, with it, everything holds together. And without it, everything falls apart. So as we study this scripture this morning, my prayer is that the reality and significance of the resurrection will fuel your faith in Jesus today. Look at our text, beginning in verse 14, the dominoes begin to fall. Paul works with their Belief at face value. If Christ has not been raised, then. Seven faith-shattering implications if Christ has not been raised from the dead. The first one, look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Number one, the gospel is worthless. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, number one, the gospel is worthless. What the apostles preached, it is 
vain. The word vain means empty or of no value. So literally, the apostles' preaching of the gospel was valueless. It was worthless. If the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then Jesus was just another man. He was just another religious teacher. In fact, Jesus was a fraud because Jesus predicted four times before his death that he would rise from the dead. He claimed to be the son of God. This guy is either a liar or a lunatic, as one famously says, if he did not rise from the dead. Friends, the gospel is worthless. It's just another way to live. It's just one more choice on the religious aisle at the local grocery store. Number two. The witnesses of his resurrection are unreliable. Look at verse 15. If Christ has not been risen, verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. See that in verse 15? You remember in verse 5 through 9 last week of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul rattled off, um, well, literally hundreds of people who saw the appearance of the resurrected of Christ. They were all eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, if he was not raised, then the witnesses, those witnesses that I told you about, are un reliable. At best, they were deceived. At worst, they're a bunch of liars. Their testimony was that God raised Christ from the dead, and if God didn't raise Jesus to life, then here's the truth. God doesn't raise the dead to life. Friends, that's a whole new ballgame. The witnesses of his resurrection are unreliable. Implication number three. Verse 16 and 17. Notice Paul kind of rehitches. He restates his premise again. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, what? Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. See, what Christians, what all the people in this room who claim to be Christians, and all those people all over the world who claim to be Christians, what they're trusting is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ redeems us from the penalty of sin which has separated us from God. If Christ has not been raised, if he died on the cross and then stayed dead and had not been raised by God, 
then friends, all we have is a dead savior. And that does us absolutely no good. Death conquered Jesus just like it will conquer everyone in this room. Jesus has no more power than any other human being. The cross is ineffective. If Christ has not been raised, number three, the cross is ineffective. It's impotent. It does absolutely no good for anyone. And so Paul explains what that means. Your faith, what you're trusting in, is futile. And you are still in your sins. The cross did nothing to remove you from your sin. What that means is, Christian, you're still guilty before God. You still have a rap sheet, and you will stand before God in judgment for everything that you've done, every crime you've committed against God and man, every thought, every word, every deed, you're still guilty. The penalty is still death. You're still condemned. You're still separated from God outside the garden. And you're still enslaved by your passions and lusts. The cross did nothing to change that. If Christ has not been risen. Your faith is shattered. Number four. Look at verse 18. If Christ has not been risen, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Christians who have died, have perished. Do you know any Christians who have died? My dad was a Christian. He died. My mom was a Christian. She died. Sherry's dad was a pastor for 50 years. I guess that makes him Christian. I don't know. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Only faith in Jesus does, but boy, did he have faith in Jesus. He died. I look around the room and I see those widows left behind whose husbands have died, who claimed Christ. Here's the truth. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your loved one has perished. Now, perished does not just mean died. It is a synonym for death, but it has a particular meaning, especially if you were to read and continue to read here in chapter 15. Um, Just a quick survey of the New Testament, and especially Corinthians, tells us that the word perished is referring to the body whenever it decays and returns to the dust. That to perish is to return to dust to be gone, to have no more future life. To perish, according to the New Testament, is the opposite of 
being saved. So those who are saved are in contrast to those who perish, who are under the judgment of God. And then also in the New Testament, um, perished is the opposite of being granted eternal life. So on one hand, there are those who have eternal life, and then on the other are all those who perish. Sherry's dad, who hoped in Christ, preached Christ for 50 years. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he has perished. That's how significant the resurrection is. Number five. Number five in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then Christians who are alive are fools. Pitiful. Miserable. Fools. Why? Because it's a fraud. It's a sham. We have believed a lie. And we're spending our lives following Jesus, who's a shyster. We're exactly what the unbelievers in the world think we are a bunch of idiots who are believing nothing but a fairy tale. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we and the cross, we're all fools. The central truth of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus secures redemption from sin, reconciliation from God, and eternal life in his presence in the new heavens and the new earth. And if Jesus has not been raised, friend, that is a fairy tale. Jesus is no more than the superheroes in Marvel Comics. It's fantasy land. That brings us to verse 19 and the end of a section. I want you to drop down and I want you to notice that Paul picks up this same thought in verse 29. Look how Paul ends the section. He returns and he gives two more implications of what if Jesus has not been raised from the dead in verse 29 through 34. And both of them are extreme. The first is an example, I believe, from pagan culture. Notice he's speaking about those who... In verse 29, those who, and then the second one is a personal example in verse 30 through 32, um, I and we, Paul says. So, number six, verse 29, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then baptism is meaningless. It's, it's meaningless. Let's just find out where we've been so far. Let me, let me just quickly review. 
If Christ has not been raised, the gospel's worthless, the witnesses to his resurrection are unreliable, the cross was ineffective, Christians who have died have perished, Christians who are alive are fools, and now baptism is meaningless. Look at verse 29. Paul says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? So some at Corinth were saying there is no resurrection of the dead, but there was a, there was a cultural practice of being baptized for the dead, on behalf of the dead. And so there's lots of confusion about this because Paul really doesn't explain this baptism thing, and he certainly doesn't condemn it. And so people are like, what in the world is this all about? In my interpretive opinion, Paul is talking to the, Cor- uh, the Corinthians about something that they know about, pagan practice of baptizing on behalf of the dead. In other words, a living person is baptized so that a dead person receives the benefit of the living person's faith. Pagan practice. The Mormons still do this, right? What does that prove? Why would Paul bring that up? The very fact that they're being baptized for the dead proves that they believe that there's life after death and a resurrection of the body. That's why they're doing this. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then the whole thing is meaningless. Even if Paul is, through some strange translation of words here, which some argue for, even if Paul is talking about Christian baptism, we are baptized in what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism pictures. We stand in the water like Jesus was nailed to the cross We're baptized, uniting us with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then we walk in newness of life. Christian baptism would be absolutely meaningless. Here's Christian baptism. We've died with Christ and we're buried with Christ. That's it. (laughs) Number seven. Seven, faith. You get the, you get the point here? The, the resurrection is a big deal. It's the most significant event in human history. It's the linchpin upon which everything in Christianity hangs. And if it's not true, then Christianity is shattered, friend. Get up, walk out. You're wasting your time here today. Number seven. Sacrifice for the gospel? Pointless. Paul gives a personal illustration in verse 30 through 32. Look, he says, okay, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? Look there, verse 31. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Now, does that mean that Paul literally physically dies every day? No, no, no. He says, my life is on the line. I am living in danger every single day. 
Verse 32, and what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts in Ephesus? Now, that could be talking about Paul hypothetically saying, what would I gain if even as a Christian I was thrown to the beasts in the gladiatorial games and persecuted for Christ? But I think what Paul is talking about there was the fact that right after he left Corinth, he went to Ephesus and there was a mob that tried to kill him. And he's talking about the real people who are trying to tear him apart limb from limb in Ephesus. He says, what advantage was any of that? Why is all of this happening to Paul? For the sake of the gospel. If you were to look over at, and I encourage you to do it later today, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul describes some of the hardships that he experienced for the sake of the gospel. imprisonment, countless beatings. Five times he was flogged with 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned almost to death. He was shipwrecked. He is constantly in danger on journeys. He is in danger in riots in cities, he has sleepless nights. He said he has been hungry, thirsty, cold, and exposed to the elements. And if Christ has not been raised, what's the point? Why would he live this life of sacrifice to promote the gospel? Talk about a fool. Talk about wasting your life. If Christ has not been raised, self-sacrifice for the sake of the gospel is pointless. And what's left? Nothing but self-indulgence. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then what? Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Isn't that the common uh, mantra of, of hedonism? Uh, we live, we die. Let's get make the best of it now. Verse 32, look. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, if this is all there is, then you better get all the gusto you can here and now because there's nothing else. And if Christ isn't who he says he is, if there's no judgment after this, if there's no heaven, no hell, then what's the point? Just eat, drink, and be merry. Hedonism's all that's left. The gospel's worthless. The witnesses of the resurrection are unreliable. The cross was ineffective. Christians who have died have perished. Christians who are alive are fools. Baptism is meaningless and sacrifice for the gospel is pointless. Verse 20. But. You see it? Verse 20. But. In fact. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits 
of all who have fallen asleep. But Christ has been raised from the dead, and that changes absolutely everything, friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ is cosmic good news to a world that is under the curse of death. The bodily resurrection of Jesus guarantees the real physical resurrection of the dead for all who belong to him and all of creation. The resurrection, as I said before, is the linchpin of Christianity. Without it, everything falls apart. But with it, everything, everything holds together. So consider the flip side of all seven of these implications. Consider the significance of the resurrection. Number one, Christ has been raised, therefore the gospel is true. What the apostles preached is true. What the church believes, it's true. It's good news that Jesus Christ has accomplished God's plan of redemption from the curse of sin and death. It's true, friends. You know how we know it's true? Because Christ was raised from the dead. So we can believe that. We can rest our lives on the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's true. We can share it with those we love. And how could we not, if we really love people, how could we not share the good news of their salvation? Number two, the witnesses of his resurrection, they're reliable. Look, we can trust their eyewitness testimony. The testimony of hundreds of people, just like we do with every other historical event in history. It, they're reliable. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical reality, and it's the most significant event in human history. Verse 5 through 9 gives us hundreds of people who witnessed the appearance of the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Doubt no more. You don't need Roman records. You don't need the Jerusalem Times to prove it. You have God's preserved word. Christ has been raised so we can rely on those eyewitnesses to establish it as historical fact. Number three. Listen, the cross is the power of God. It's not impotent, not by any means. Jesus' death on the cross is the power of God for salvation to all who will believe. John Stott said, we're not to regard the cross as defeat and the resurrection as victory. Rather, the cross was the victory won and the resurrection the victory endorsed, proclaimed, 
and demonstrated. You look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you see there is your hope for forgiveness of sins. Do you remember that's what he said there in verse 17? He said, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But what does the cross say? Believing in Jesus means you're not in your sins anymore. Uh, Paul started this whole letter out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 by saying, the word, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And because of Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that's the power of the cross to make us righteous, cleanse us from sin, set us aside for God as his people, and redeem us. Friends, the cross is the power of God. Sin no longer condemns. Our sin is forgiven, cleansed, separated from us as far as the east is from the west. God says, I, even I am he who will not remember your sin anymore. That's the power of the cross and only the cross of Christ. Number four, seven faith fueling implications. Number four, what about those Christians who have died? What about those Christians like my dad, my mom, your husband, your wife? What about them? Jesus has been raised from the dead. Therefore, what? We can know that when those who belong to Christ close their eyes here, they open them in the presence of of the Christ who was raised from the dead so that they too will be raised from the dead forever. And the Bible tells us that the presence of Christ is, quote, far better. Now look, we usually grieve when people die. We've suffered a loss if your spouse has died, you have suffered a tremendous loss. But here's the biblical perspective. Yes, you've suffered a loss, but they wouldn't come back here if they had the chance. Because what they're experiencing is what? Far better. It's the way it's supposed to be. I'll see you when you get here. Far better. Friends, that's how we should look at death of those who belong to Christ. We, yes, we grieve. 
But friends, we literally, we can have joy, not just hope, but joy for what they're experiencing. Christians who have died are secure, secure forever. Verse 19, number five. What about Christians who are alive? If Christ has not died, we're the biggest fools on the face of the earth. We're wasting our lives. But Christ has risen from the dead. Therefore, Christians who are alive have confidence. It's a humble confidence in the truth. It's not an arrogance. Hey, listen, we're right, you're wrong. You ought to get your act together. No, no, no. It's just a humble confidence that God has opened our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus will do for those who come to him by faith. And it changes everything. It gives us hope. See there in verse 19? If in Christ we have keyword hope. And where's that hope? This life and the next. Jesus said this, I came to give you life, not just life after you die. That's really short-sighted. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. The life that Christ gives is an abundant life now. Have you ever met a Christian who seems to be living a peaceful, joyful, abundant confident, humble life in Christ? Listen, that's what the Spirit of God will do in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is life the way it's supposed to be, even though we're not redeemed completely from it yet. Here, now, and there. And then, Christians who are alive have confidence. Number six, dropping down to verse 29, I'm not going to go back into all of that again, but baptism, Christian baptism, is meaningful. And so when we're baptized, we make a public profession that I am united with Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection are my death to sin, burial to sin, and resurrection to a whole new life. And I'm going to walk and live like it. Baptism has significant meaning because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And finally, sacrifice for the gospel. Like being beaten with rods three times? Sure. Like, like 39 lashes five times in his life. Like being in prison because he was preaching the gospel. What about all that? Christ has been risen, therefore sacrifice for the gospel is worthwhile. It's worthwhile. We have motivation to live for the sake of the gospel no matter what it requires. When we pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we receive his life-changing grace, and we're following Jesus, here's what Jesus says. John 15, 20. Remember the word that I told you. 
a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. This world does not like Jesus. This world does not like his followers. This world is offended by the gospel. That cross of Jesus says we're all sinners who need to be saved. That is not something that most people want to hear. The cross says you can't earn your salvation. You can't be nice enough, moral enough, or religious enough. The cross of Christ says the only way God could save you was by sacrificing his son. But he did because he loves us. And all who will come to Christ will be saved because we're united with Christ by faith. And when we're united with Christ by faith and our biggest problem has been taken care of, man, I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what. Out of love for him, I'll live for him. Even if it means, you know, in our culture, we're probably not going to be beaten three times with rods or, or be flogged like is happening right now to some Christians in other countries. But in our culture, it probably is going to be mean uh, mean being ridiculed by some of your friends, maybe ostracized by some of your family, maybe not promoted at work because they think you're a little looney tunes for what you believe. There's soft persecution that goes on even in our country. It's, it's, it's that thing of when a Christian, a known Christian walks into the room, everybody kind of... It's when my neighbors figure out that I'm a pastor and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> As if that changes everything. <laughs> Sacrifice, whatever it is for the gospel is worthwhile. I love what Scotty Smith, a pastor in Tennessee said. Listen to this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus... We're no longer afraid to die. And we're no longer afraid to live. People who are confident that Jesus really is who he says he is and proved it through his resurrection, those people are no longer afraid to die. And they're no longer afraid of the ridicule, the ostracization, the strange relationships. They're no longer afraid to live for Jesus as a known follower of Jesus who really is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant event in history. It is the linchpin that with it, Everything in Christianity holds together, and without it, everything falls apart. And here's the gospel. Christ, in fact, has been raised from the dead. His bodily resurrection guarantees a real 
physical resurrection of the dead for all who belong to him and it will change the entire world. In fact, we'll have a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies in a new existence that's far better than this one. His resurrection proved it, guaranteed it. And that's good news. My prayer for every single person in this room is that the reality and the significance of the resurrection fuels your faith in Jesus today. If you're a Christian, my prayer is that you'll live boldly. If you're not a Christian, my prayer is that you'll believe this and confess this with your mouth. And be baptized and pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ who died and was, rose, uh, was raised again the third day to redeem us from this curse of sin and death. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the life-changing, world-changing cosmic good news of the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that wherever we are in our faith, that you would cause our faith to grow, cause us to understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus on our everyday lives. And I pray that you would cause some who have never believed to believe and to confess and to be baptized so that they too can be saved. We praise you and thank you for your grace to us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.